52 yards should be just a nice, comfortable nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. Yo, yo, yo. How we doing, golf fans? I honestly don't know that I've been this excited for a podcast ever. Um, I cannot wait to get this thing started. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks on Twitter. This is the Preferred Lines podcast. Welcome in. Um, I can't wait to talk about the PGA Championship. We're going to get right into the uh, Charles Schwab Challenge as well. Got some picks there. Got a little bit of course preview. Got a fantastic guest lined up. One of the old favorites, a recurring guest, bringing him back on. I couldn't have absolutely picked a better week on the schedule. Um, a giant welcome in to those checking out the show. Um, if you like the show and enjoy it, feel free to retweet, share with a friend, subscribe to the YouTube channel so that I can get your comments, which I always love to see the people in here, like my guy, Ted, like my guy, Brian, Ted, I've got, I've actually, I rarely drink on the podcast anymore. We've got tequila poured up tonight. That's what kind of level we're on. That's what kind of vibe that we are riding right now. Um, but appreciate you guys coming in, going over to the YouTube channel, subscribe to Preferred Lines, drop comments in there. Love to see it. Um, as always, brought to you in part by my boys at the Fantasy Golf Pod. Mr. Chad Eckert, a co-founder of Preferred Lines, is over there. Um, they have a first look DFS show out now. Him, Jish, Eric got the Wednesday night show. Check them out. Give them a follow. Absolutely some of the best in the industry and most entertaining follows you will find on this Twitter machine if you're checking us out there. Okay. I cannot, I, I, I can't do it. I can't wait any longer. Got to bring on the guest right now into the show, back on Preferred Lines, my good friend, Nagels Bagels. Welcome back. Joey ID the winners. How you doing, my friend? Good to see you. I've been, I've been workshopping that name for a little while. I think you really got to go with some type of ID with your picks. You've been a little, okay. hot, a little hot in the majors lately. You're, uh, it's really, no, thank you for having me back on. I appreciate it. It's been a little while. And yeah, what's, uh, you're a big Brooksy guy. So that was a good day for you yesterday. Yes, it was a great day. I have, uh, I have a little spiel. I want to go into it a little bit. I've been thinking about it all day, but we'll, like, what do we want to start with? What do we want to start with? What do you want to start with? I want to, uh, I've always been on the wrong side of the Brooks, uh, moments. When he started out winning majors, it was just I was I was never I was never there because you know he had this whole macho thing. He only cares about majors. He doesn't care about PGA Tour events. So it's like uh, you know, it does, it's not that easy. It doesn't work that way. And then then you had the you had the then I started like right, you know what Brooks is just going to win every major in this run. So I start picking him. And then, then the injuries start. He comes in second, and th this happens, and then that happens. And he's rolling around on the ground in Harding Park. And then, then, it, then it's like, okay, uh, his uh, his number is too high, and everybody was on him at the Phoenix Open, and I have a Xander ticket, and Brooks wins up winning that. It's like, well, this is BS, man. This guy doesn't care about regular tour events. So it's like, all right, I'm going to get back, and I'm going to play him in a major again. And then he's off the planet because he's hurt. And I've just I've never been there. And you 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 talked about this at the before the Masters, and you uh, you know Luke sweated out. You guys are all like the big Brooks backers. I just I have such a hard time like reading through all the nonsense, all the all the narratives, and all the hyperbole. I don't know what's true. He can't beat Scotty Scheffler, and then he goes out and he on Netflix, and then he goes out and he beats Scotty Scheffler. It's like what what matters? What doesn't matter? I how do you know? How do, like where did you what what did it for you? I, you know, it's not something that I know. I just started very early on. It was one of those things like I'm kind of the, that way with Scotty. Like I've missed all the Scotty wins. Like look at the banner. He ain't on there. And like I feel like at this point he's one of those guys I'm just not going to get right. On the flip side, Brooks is one of the first ones I have right. Like even before I was doing Twitter picks or whatever, I had the Aaron Hills ticket. Um, and that's kind of where it all started. And then just me, Luke, my guy, Cutbaker, Jeff, like we've all just been like loyal to this belief 
that the guy has an intangible that is just like fire and guts and bravado and all those things that you mentioned about and the ability and you know what i was i was literally like just dming with kyle porter about this like 20 minutes ago like he's so self-absorbed it is a such a great thing for elite golf in a way that rory is hearing everything right now and is such a great person and cares what everyone thinks about him great for a human being maybe not great for being an elite golfer maybe brooks is just the opposite and and he does things i love the narratives this week that um he sort of couldn't close anymore which i think was kind of going around there and i think that those kind of things really fire him up when he's in form um i've been following the live stuff kind of closely and he's been leading the live tour in greens and regulation and birdies like his iron play is fantastic. It's as best as it's been in a long time right now. And he can flip the switch and he just under he just understands the examination that major championships require to another level. I don't know. I'm gonna go back there at the US Open. I've already seen numbers down to like eight to one. It, the value may have been siphoned. I had a hundred to one at the Masters. Mm -hmm. I still went back to the 22. I hit the 24, I hit the 25 this week and um, yeah, it was, it was a good week, but I'm going to circle back to Brooks in just a moment. Um, let's touch on some of the other storylines sort of real quickly. How about, let's start with Vic. Um, what were your takeaways of his Sunday performance being in a final group against sort of an, a, a quote unquote alpha like Brooks? Well, I think you have to, if you're just, I know there's a lot of Hovland truthers out there. So I think you have to be, I don't look at it as a negative that oh he can't he can't get the job done. I'm not saying that. I think it's just been a natural uh, growth. And he's still a yeah. young player. Uh, saying he learned a lot from St Andrews and bringing into the next year. Now the the narrative around Hovland in these big events has always been his short game, and that was kind of uh, mitigated because of the the golf course that they were playing on. So I don't know if it was. It wasn't pressure. I mean, he got a bad break on that on that last hole. Uh, what was that? The sixteenth. Yes. Where he got the ball plugged. So, no, I I'm, I was I was pretty impressed by by Hovland. The, his his uh, wardrobe choices notwithstanding, he was. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he, uh, yeah, he's he's just outstanding. Tee to green. I had said last week in my preview that I just had a feeling like Hovland just might. Get, might have some like bunker trouble. Like I said that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe it might even have been a greenside bunker yeah. or whatever, just type of some type of short game situation. I've heard you talk about that in the past. How when you were trying to narrow the field down, maybe make a choice between one or two players that you're looking at like real short, you know, short game around the green statistics yeah. and how important that is. And yeah. it certainly, I mean, it really shows its head in a major. Maybe not so much this particular major and. I just Hovland's going to be a horse for a course type of guy, I think. But as far as his game mentally, I wouldn't. I don't look at it as a uh, a negative. I think this is just another step, and he's going to win a. I think he, before he wins a major, I think he needs to win a like a regular event or an elevated event. Mm -hmm. Like I just believe in the progression. You yes. know, let's get out of these like uh, Puerto Rico Opens and Hero World Challenges. Let's win something, put something on the board. And then it's like, all right, let's go. So like a, like a memorial, like go win yeah. memorial, you know? Yeah. And then, then we can talk um, about the USO. I, I am with you there. I've seen solid progression. I, it started at the open where he really didn't play well. Um, good performance at the masters first round leader, top 10 there. And then this was his biggest test yet. And I felt like he took what? 68 shots. He passed the test for 67 of them. Mm -hmm. Um, his around the green game was fantastic. Like he got hit him getting that up and down on one was huge for him. Like to go over the green, to deal with that Hill. I thought that he was really good. I thought that he was sharp. I honestly think that with the short game sort of turning around, I think that he's set up to compete very well in majors over the next 10 years with his length there's an aggressiveness in sort of a change in mentality. I think that I noticed with Vic where it was always just 
relentless aggressiveness, right? Going for everything, trying to pull off every shot. He can't lose that about him, and he maintains that from the fairway, right? When you're in the fairway, green light, go with the flag. All these guys do it. But when you're in the rough, you've almost got to play for par. Or when you're in a bunker with a steep lip in front of you, to me, that wasn't a, an execution error. It was a decision error. And maybe it was the moment. Maybe it was three holes to go in a major championship and a little pressure and being down and feel like you can't you know, try to get up and down for par there. But that was a mental mistake that he makes, and I hope that he learns from. I do think that... Like, in my opinion, he's set up better than someone like Morikawa to compete at majors year in, year out at these really difficult U.S. Open PGA Championship type tests at the Masters, which is going to continue to get even longer. Um, I think that he is really going to sort of make a big step forward. And we're kind of seeing that progression. It's going to take time. But, you know, Colin's got two majors. Colin's got bigger wins. He's got all the accolades. But I think Nagel's in six years we're all going to agree that Vic's the better player. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you I'm wrong because you might be right. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think he's got – Cowan's like just a just like a couple of putting lessons away maybe okay. or something. From, like who knows? I, I don't know what his ceiling is because it yeah. – I mean, I was looking at his number for this tournament. You just It's kind of ridiculous how long it's been since he's won a tournament. And a lot of tinkering, and maybe he's wrapping himself into a pretzel. Who knows? But uh, I'm not ready to. I'm not ready to make that make that call just yet. I have a lot of respect for Morikawa's game. I'm more worried about him. Just like when the, I want to check the weather report every week whenever Collins playing, see what's going on. I don't trust him in the wind. Hovland's. It, it's not. A, it's it, that's. That's when I would give the edge to him there, but. I mean, I love to see it, man. There's a lot of like one-on-one -on -one battles, like uh, development. You know, if you look at yeah, if you want to do Colin and Victor, and now Rory and Brooks. You know, for the first time we mentioned Rory's name, Scheffler and Rom. There's a lot of like really good things to be excited about, and uh, let's just see how it plays out, as I like to say. All right, so a lot of really good things to be excited about. But one thing, like, did I read this correctly on your Twitter feed? Were you? annoyed with with block coverage this weekend because that was a really good thing but it seemed like there was a chosen few people that it kind of pissed off and were am i reading that right or you want to know okay pissed off is too is a bridge is that's a bridge too okay, far okay i was not pissed off listen golf coverage in general like i've been over that for a couple of years now i usually watch the broadcast on mute i'll play some like mozart or something in the background I don't listen. I, I I'm not in on the walk and talks, all the commercials, <laughs> the the uh, the Amanda Balionis interviews. Like I've just I'm done with all of it. I'd rather just watch on ESPN Plus and watch a watch a group, whatever. But I saw that picture of that kid after like one of Hovland's tee shots. It, this this like stoner guy, and I saw some Twitter discourse about. Michael Block, and I'm just like, all right. So everybody's talking about Michael Block, and here's this, <laughs> this kid that just looks like totally zoned out. Like he's he's over everything. He doesn't even know what he's watching. So I just put that out there. I really didn't care. I thought it was cool. The guy made a hole in one, but this I, I just don't like the the way golf coverage just focuses on things that they don't really matter in like the, to me. They don't matter to me. Like it's a it's a fine story, but I don't need I don't need shot by shot coverage of of block. You know, I love Tiger Woods, but when he's 15 shots off the lead on a Saturday, I don't need shot by shot coverage of Tiger. I know what they're trying to do. It's just that's not what I want. Mm -hmm. But I maybe me and some certain golf fans are just not the we're not the target audience. They're trying to make my Aunt Judy happy. I don't know, but I don't. I didn't. I, I don't care. He's getting sponsors exemptions now. Yeah, that's great. Like we're trying to pick winners here. He's yeah. not going to win anything, you know. I. I it, it, yeah, I could talk about this for. I get it. I a get while. It. It's just, but I've lost that, Joe. Like as as somebody who's covering 
are trying to cover and do previews every week and try to pick winners and following DraftKings things and trying to make birdies and tracking coverage and everything else and being on social media, you lose your fandom a little bit where you don't even – Brooks won his fifth major yesterday, but I had – I was would have preferred a Scotty Scheffler one. It would have been better for my bank account. So as a sports fan, like I've lost – I've lost some of that because I'm too distracted by wanting to be right. Like what's good for the, what's good for the show or, you know, stuff like that. So it's a, that Michael block thing is just totally separate from what I'm looking for. Sorry. I ran, I I ranted there for a second. Okay. No, no, I, 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 I enticed you into that one. I want to hear. So you had a Scheffler ticket. Um, Yeah. I, I'm starting to get to the point where I don't really like Scotty anymore. I don't know. Some of the stuff that I see is bothering me. I had the tweet that, to be honest, I kind of wish I didn't. I wish I wasn't that guy, man, that had the tweet on the slow play stuff. But I've noticed it for too long with Scotty. I could not let this one slide. Now, there was some controversy. Some people came back to me, said maybe there was another group on the green, blah, blah, blah. Even when the pin was back in. Uh, it still took him three minutes to hit a pitch shot, which was irritating to his playing partners. And they were clearly pissed um, okay. from basically like the fourth hole on. At what point, let's talk about his actual performance, though, because it seemed like he had absolutely nothing, which I've noticed recently. It seems like that quite often. Um, he's one of he's in the not in the top 200 in the PGA Tour out of sand saves. He's ranked like 150th in approach from out of the rough. His putting numbers are questionable. Yet, this guy top fours everything with, like, horrible stats. There's just something where he's able to do this. And he had me scared to death until he finished, like, the 17th hole that I thought he was going to get back in this thing. Okay. So, your question, are you... I'm just wanting you to talk about him. Okay. Well, I mean, he's pretty awesome. I mean, he hasn't finished outside the top 10 in like very good five months. <laughs> yeah. something, something absurd. Is he the best uh, in the world, do you think? I mean, again, this goes back to Victor versus Colin and all these this yeah. guy versus that guy. Like, let's just see like what happens. It's that's what makes it exciting. If Chef were won yesterday and Ron won the Masters and he won the PGA, it's like, how good does that set up the US Open? You know? Yeah. And I don't know. It's just he's he's kind of boring. He's not controversial. The slow play thing, that's a who knows. It's not just him. That might, it might it's not just him. It might be a television thing. I I again, Joe, I've tried so hard in the past like 2 years to just not let things like this get to me, whether it be coverage or slow play that. or the rollback or Live God, like I don't care. Like yeah. I need to make sure my daughter's happy. I have other things that I'm worried about. I'll right. try to do a good, entertaining golf show, but if it takes an extra minute, it doesn't. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. I understand where you're coming from. I know it's it's a concern and it's a problem and everything else. But I mean, if he takes an extra minute or two, how does that affect your opinion of his? This golf game. I mean, I, he didn't make a bogey on Friday, and it looked like he was going to run away with this tournament. He comes yeah. out Saturday. They're playing in playing in the rain. It's kind of goofy. Yeah. Mr. I mean, his putting was not awesome. But, yeah, the guys yeah. have finished out. Joe, uh, all due respect, the guys have finished outside, like, the top, I don't think it's 12 in months. Yes. And we're worried about his sand stage percentage. It that, that doesn't – that's not a good enough reason. Like that's Fair. not that's not uh, that's not a cause for concern in my yeah in my eye. I Brooks, guess my point there is there's no way Brooks was losing that tournament yesterday. I I don't know. So I think there was ways he did. I mean, he had to he had to put three great rounds together, and he had to have maybe his best stuff on Sunday, which is you can argue which round it was, but I have some stuff later on that that would tell you Sunday was pretty damn fucking epic. Um, but Scotty, it's it's not me questioning him as a golfer i think that he's the one or two best player in the world i think that he has all the ability in the world what frustrates me is 
this slow play stuff has been frustrating me for quite a while. And I think that there's a rule in place that certain guys are leveraging not only to their advantage, but I think it also can disadvantage their playing partners in a way who are abiding by those rules. And that bothers me like personally about the guy as a fan. So it, it, I, I'm not a fan of him, but I have full respect for his golf ability that he's able to top 10 everything. And I think that he's got world-class talent, but if you've got a 25 yard pitch shot and you need to walk up to the green and circle the pin every single time on a pitch shot, that's not, that's an advantage in some degree. That's not what you, that's not what other players are doing. You assess your lie. You take a peek at the pin. You can maybe get a little bit of slope, but you don't need to full on read it. Like it's a 10 foot putt. Um, and that's what can sometimes bother me a little bit about it but i don't want to go too much on the scotty tangent he's fantastic let's talk about rory for a second all right the outside of brooks the most controversial takes of the week people loved him people hated him he's all over the place he's the most confident he's ever been at the masters and extremely prepared and then he tried to tell us this week he's not prepared at all even though we all know he has a leg up. He was he, Andy sat there and told everyone he was there for the majority of for a, a portion of COVID, played the course. He probably had more rounds around Oak Hill than anyone else in the field. Yet he tells us he's unconfident, he's unprepared, he hasn't really seen the course. I don't know what to believe anymore. Now he tried to have this narrative in the Kyle Porter piece that he saw Friday morning. He was 10 shots back of Brooks and didn't think he had a chance of winning anymore on Friday morning. And that wasn't even true. He was never 10 shots back of Brooks on Friday. He was like five. So he's making up narratives. He's he's making he's he's fabricating stuff. I don't think intentionally, I think unintentionally to figure something out. And it just seems very reachy to me. And I think that he had his like C minus game. He was trash off the tee and he finished seventh. Like he was like when he birdied that opening hole, tell me everyone watching the coverage didn't think like, here comes Rory. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my brother, he was, uh, he texted me Saturday. He had a big, he had a big Rory ticket and he, um, he was, he was saying like, oh, I'm still holding out hope for Rory. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I didn't think he, I think he's just shown us like in the last month with Quail Hollow and the Masters that it just wasn't like he's just not something's not something's not clicking. And yeah, he played like crap and he finished seventh, and that's all that's you can't argue that. Amazing. I was thinking about this today, and I think I didn't I didn't get this take out into the out into the universe. And then I heard the uh another podcast. I don't know if what the rules are here about mentioning anybody by name, but I heard another podcast and they were talking about Rory's caddy and, you know, I don't think Rory's won a major since he uh, had his friend Harry on the bag. I believe that's correct. He's friends with tiger. How fucking badass would it be if Rory tried to go to tiger and get the ultimate forgiveness and brought Stevie Williams onto his bag for like a year. Like how, yeah. like just somebody that like a, a true professional, he probably wouldn't do it because of Tiger, but like that's the move, Joe. I know. Bring Steve I've... Williams on your bag and get this fifth major and get this freaking monkey off your back. You need somebody like that. Stop chumming around. He talked about it in his press conference before the tournament how he doesn't feel that he he needs to have this like, you know, this ultimate killer instinct in order to have success. And I think that's probably a bad take. He needs to like go out there and yeah. kill some people and be the guy that he used to be. Not, I don't know. I, I just think that's the move. It's he's tried so many different things. He's reading self-help books. He's juggling. He's playing before a major. He's not playing before a major. He's trying everything. He's got to get his buddy off the bag and get a real freaking caddy. If that matters, it may not matter. But we should find out. That's what I. That's what I would do. If I'm worried, I'm saying it's time. We're, we're, take, we're sending Harry off. It's a very fair point. I'm glad you brought it up. I hadn't heard it yet. Um, but if he's in this mode of trying things and seeing what sticks, that seems like a pretty freaking obvious one that he hasn't won a major in ten years. Who was his caddy before Harry? I feel like it was a well-known 
caddy. I don't oh, know who he's with anymore. It wasn't. It wasn't JJ. That was JT. I think. Um, it was. It was a guy who I don't know who he's with though. So I okay. apologize. I don't know that in advance. But yeah, yeah I just I think, think that would be. I think maybe it's a move he doesn't want to make. He probably doesn't want to admit that he. It probably needs to be done. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe when he's what he said at the press conference that if I never win another major, I feel like I had a good career. Like, well, yeah, but that kind of sucks. I hated that. I hated that. I know. I sent it to my brother who just put a huge chunk of change on. I'm like, this isn't good. That. You don't want that. You don't want that. All right, maybe so Brooks passing him lights a fire. Maybe. You know? but maybe that's what you hold on to hope for. The anti. All right. Let me talk about Brooks here. The anti that Rory take right there. Maybe I'll maybe I'm just fine. Never winning another major again is Brooks Kepka. Um, this is a, this guy went on, pardon my take. And basically they asked him about the masters and was really the first time I'd really heard him talk about it. Um, and told them three, four weeks ago that he absolutely choked. Then Saturday before his final round, he's sitting there after the round with Amanda Balionis. And she asks him about it again. And he doesn't look at the camera. He looks right at her and echoes the exact same thing. Who does that? Who has the enough balls a month after finishing second in a major to go on multiple media outlets, CBS, on the coverage, on TV, and say, I choked. And this is what he said after it. He said, I know exactly what I did wrong, and I can guarantee it won't happen again. Like, who says that before the final round of a major championship? He yeah. guaranteed it won't happen again. And then the best part, Nagels, is he went out and did it when people were questioning him. So the ultimate sort of test in terms of nerves, in terms of aggressiveness, in terms of guts in a major championship, to me, to me, is your iron play, right? Because... These guys, these guys hit thousands of putts all the time. They know every break. Sure, you can get, I'll hear that argument that you can get a little nervy on the putting green when the pressure mounts up. But for the most part, no one's just, like you give yourself enough 10 footers, you're going to make half of them, right? Anybody. Um, off the tee, it's swing hard, it's adrenaline, it's fine. The unknown, the great unknown and what you can't prepare for at all on a practice green in a greens book is what happens on your second shot. You know exactly what you're going to do on every single tee. You know all the reads on the green. You have no idea what you're going to be dealt with your approach shot. That's when you start thinking. That's when you start calculating. That's when your nerves come into play. So here's the thing. If the approach shot is the ultimate test of nerves and clutchness, I wrote down angles. I have 11 holes here, right? This was Brooks iron play on Sunday of a major championship. Maybe the best I or you have ever seen. The very first hole of the day with a one stroke lead. He had 146 yards to the hole. He hit 143 yard shot on the second hole. He had 163 yards to the hole. Bear with me. This is going to take a minute. He had 163 yard shot. On the third hole, a long, difficult par three. Nobody's getting there. 212 yards to the hole. He hit a 211-yard shot. On the fourth hole, 92 yards to the hole. He hit a 94-yard shot. Then, on the sixth hole, things go absolutely awry, right? He's got 200 yards to the hole, out of the rough. He hits it just past the pin, 10 yards past the hole. Back on on number nine, pull hook, way look, way left. Victor, he's in the deep rough. Victor's closing in on him, 174 yards out of the deep rough. He hits a 176-yard shot. Tenth hole, 143 to the hole, hits a 141-yard shot. Twelfth hole, 157, distance on approach, 155-yard shot. Huge swing then on 13. Victor closes the gap and is one shot behind Brooks Kepka. He made a clutch putt there to keep the one-stroke lead. 320 yard par four. He hit a 319 yard drive to the green, Nagels. 15th hole, 151 yard shot. He hit at 153. Then comes the 16th hole, right? Victor takes about eight minutes. Not to his fault. There was a ruling, there was a drop. He's standing 30 yards in front of him in the right side rough. A chance 
to close the door and win your fifth major championship. A chance to step on. This is throat stepping time. 156 yards to the green out of the rough. He had 157 yard shot. 18, 178 to the hole. He had 178 yard shot on a total of 11 holes on a major championship Sunday, 11 hole stretch, nearly 2000 yards total in approach shots. He was off by 16 total yards, an average of 1.4 yards per hole on his approaches between the distance to the hole and the distance of shot. 1.4 yards per hole. That is as clutch as you or I, I think, could ever see on a major championship Sunday on an extremely difficult golf course. It was clutch beyond means. The guy is totally back and one of the greatest big stage performers that we've seen, I think, since Tiger Woods. That was a a very much a a big boy performance. However, (laughs) (laughs) give it to me. It's like... Okay, so okay, because of those because of those numbers that you just stated, like that's why I'm not going crazy over what Hovland did or what uh, Scheffler's bunker numbers or anything else or his putting. Like, yeah, like that was Brooks's. That was his his day. I mean, he did. I mean, you talked. I remember when you. I remember you posted about that part of my take uh, segment and how mm-hmm. excited you were about this upcoming tournament, how he was accountable. And that was great, but that's not like the first time he's done that. There's mm-hmm. been plenty of times where he's had bravado and then fallen flat on his face. True. You no, know? like the Dustin Johnson comment. Well, what, nobody's up. Nobody on the top. But I have nobody to worry about. Nobody. The one guy who's won a major. Yep. And, he, and then he went out and shot like 80, you know? And so it's it kind of like I said at, at the beginning of the show with Brooks and me. It's like you know a lot of uh, that fool me once, fool me twice type of situation. Like I can't figure him out. And Jenna was so nice to me on more than one occasion. Like I can't get that out of my head. Like she's so sweet and she was good to my kid and she took pictures and she was great. So it's like you know friend of the program. Like, we like Jenna. So I'm like I've always liked Brooks. I just can't get him. I just can't get them right. And I just don't know. I, I have a very strong bullshit detector and I don't know what's real, and what's not. Because when the same thing happened before the Masters, he won, he, he, what he finished second or he won the, the event the week before, right? Yeah. The it's event, like, yeah. Okay, well, you know what, Brooks, I'm not falling for this again. You used to, you used to finish top five the week before a major every time before you won. But you know what? No, I'm not falling for this anymore. And well, he didn't win, but he was there. certainly showed signs of life. Yeah. And I just didn't think it was like that easy that it was just going to happen again. Mm-hmm. But I mean, good for you, good for Brooks, and it's it's good. Now, what do you think though? Is, is anyone tuning into wherever they're playing? Live Washington D.C. this week to watch Brooks because now he's a major champion. Do people care? No, or am I no. out of my mind? No, I host the live show. I do the only the only weeks I their best weeks in terms of uh, the horrible decision hosting a, an event this week. By the way, the week when you have a week an event the week before the Masters and then the week after horrible decision. The most I think traction they're going to get is the week before majors because I think people will tune in. Uh, some people will tune in to get a glimpse at, at gamblers, you know what I mean? To get a glimpse of form and to get a glimpse of, okay, how's this guy playing? Um, they still have, you know, I, I don't know if Bryson's back. I'm not ready to say he's back, but he certainly has looked good the last couple of live events. And this was a very positive sign for Bryce. He looks fit. He looks, he looks good, but I don't know that he's totally back, but they have three players in DJ Cam and Brooks who can win any major every year. Um, and I really believe that I think cam, um, can do it all. Like I'm so impressed with cam. I'm probably going to bet him at LA. I'm probably going to bet him at the open. Um, DJ, I think is the furthest from having it all, but I think when it's there, he's probably the best of the three, I would say, but Brooks right now is on one of those runs. Like, let me like, who's, Who's the third best player in the world right now? Is it crazy to say that it might be Brooks? Is that insane? Or is it Rory for sure? Because I don't know. 
Uh, no. I mean, when Who's you ask the that question, in the world? it's got to be Brooks. I think if, so, too. Like, if he wants to be. <laughs> like, if, if he's yeah. in the mood. <laughs> if the, if the, if the mood starts him. Brooks. Yeah, I mean, he might be the best player in the world, Joe. Like, it's, you know. Now, listen, Rom just took him down, and but Scotty couldn't catch him. Who knows? It's all semantics. It's it's like, uh, you know, doesn't matter. And what if, like, Cantley wins Memorial? Then people are going to – then then there's going to be that conversation. And then what if Colin wins the U.S. Open and then all of a sudden he's got three majors? It's like yeah. this I – don't, I, don't, I can't get caught up in the, the recency bias. Brooksy, he's a big game hunter, man. I mean, that's – we've known that for a while. He's obviously healthy now. And, yeah, he's going to be – he's going to be a factor. I don't think he's unbeatable, but he's certainly going to have everybody's attention. There's a lot of good players. There's so many good players. That it just that's what makes it fun to me. I don't think anyone's separating himself as clearly like the guy. Although just uh-huh. I mean everybody has a claim. Every every seems like every yes. every passing tournament. So Yep. It's it's in this sort of rotating shift. I think that he got himself where he wasn't even, I don't think, in the conversation before this last tournament. I think that he's now in that conversation with those guys, especially for majors. Um, cheers to anyone who, who had Brooks with me. Um, it's been a crazy run. I mean, 11, 11 winners plus two live winners this season as well. So 13 since the open. Um, it's been wild. So thank you guys all for, for your support and like all the people who were sharing that around today. I really appreciate that. Let's get, let's, let's move on, man. Let's, let's keep it moving. Colonial this week, Charles Schwab. Here's sort of what I got. And then, then give me your notes. Uh, par 70, 7,200 yards. We know the course. It's sort of been here um, forever. Very tree-lined. I think tough to hit a lot of fairways. You have to really be able to sort of um, work the ball. A lot of bunkering on this course. 13th most on tour. Bent grass greens. The rough, I think, is negligible. The big factor, as always here um, in Texas in the spring, is a lot of the wind, which, of course, wreaked havoc on Scotty in the final round. You know, Sam Burns posted that early number last year. And then kind of was able to come through really, really fast greens uh, from what I remember of Colonial. Kind of a sticky um, course history spot, I think. I, I was looking and our, our, my buddy PGA Tout had the numbers. I think of the last eight winners, um, five had posted a top 10 or better finish within the last few years before then. So a little bit of a sticky spot. Only Justin Rose was the one who sort of won in his as a debutante in his first time here. Approach play numbers are sort of shortening a little bit to more of some of the wedge to eight iron range versus what we've seen, you know, at Wells Fargo and the PGA Championship, which was much more long irons in Mexico as well. So a little bit of a different skill set, I think, required on your approach. Um, and around the green game, I always I always throw it up there. I think this is another good spot for them as they're, they're the sixth smallest of any stop on tour. That's what I got. You got anything to add there, buddy? Well, the only thing I mean, no, that's all that's all. Spot on stuff. Yeah, it's a shorter course. Uh, it doesn't have to be. It's not just bombers only. Uh, yeah, the bent grass greens. You know, you want you want to have Texas guys. You want you know, you, wind uh, can be a factor. So, yeah, and they play this course every year. So we got good course history. That's good stuff. I was surprised at this. Like uh, I was looking at the odds board. Uh, just the, the field's not terrible this week. No. Week after a major. Shocking. I know. I've that that don't make. There was what fourteen guys, I think, forty to one or less. They got yeah. some guys, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised to talk about that tonight. So, absolutely, let's cue up the board here. <laughs> Top of it, Scotty, your boy, back plus four fifty. <laughs> uh, Jordan Spieth there at fourteen to one. Tony Finau. Let me make sure that I'm reading this right. Finau fourteen to one. Hovland sixteen to one. Morikawa, um, 18 to one. Strangely, in my book today, he was like off the board for a little bit, but it looks like he's back on. Maybe some people thought he was going to withdraw. I don't know what was going on there. Um, then Sungjae at 20 to one. Those are sort of your six guys as the the early favorites there. Um, it, from a betting perspective, Nagles, is there any value or anyone you were going to like take up here? Maybe. <laughs> real firm, real firm take on that, Joe. Like, yeah. I'll give you a definite maybe on that one. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, just because I've been experimenting with something the last couple of weeks that 
if you look at I'm, – I'm trying to – I use 40 to 1 as my cutoff, basically, because we're just getting – a lot of these winners, a lot of these outrights have been in, you know, less than 40 to 1. Mm-hmm. So it's just a – the first question you got to ask yourself, like, is the winner coming from 40 to 1 or less, or is it going to be a long shot? And in most cases, it's 40 to 1 or less. So I've been almost narrowing down my outright pool to got less than that, which I'm not going to get – I'm not going to get rich doing that, but mm-hmm. I, as um, as far, I guess my question is as far as strategy, like, do you think that that is, does that take the fun out of things? Is that, is that prudent? Like, what do you, do you play, do you play numbers or you play golfers? Like what, where do you fall on that? Um, a little bit of both. A lot of it is like gut and eye test for me. I'm not going to lie. I do pretty much stick to a strategy, which I have adjusted a little bit th- this year in terms of not taking less. Like I'm still willing to take long shots, but I've adjusted my stakes a little bit so that I'm a little bit heavier on the top of the odds board. I'm still not one to take the favorite. I don't think any player that I've hit has been the favorite mm-hmm. um, coming into an event, but I just, I, you know, I like to see maybe a glimpse of, of some sort of stat or form to sort of push me over to the edge and then to try to attack it. Like, I don't know, a little bit like you would bet like NFL football, right? Like uh, the giants win a big Sunday night home game against the Cowboys. Right. And then they got to go while. play. And then they got to go play the Bengals on the road. Like, you kind of look at spots and maybe an inflated number versus a deflated number and a chance to buy low on someone. And that's usually like kind of more or less my strategy with a little bit of stats to try and back it up. Isn't everyone just going to like, isn't Hovland going to get bet to the moon? Like, can't you see that being like a victor week based on the numbers and the odds and everything? I I could just, I guess I don't know if I like that though. In that, in that same sense, I don't love the spot off coming off such a big game off the most important round of his career and playing pretty well, but ultimately knowing that trying to hit an eight iron out of that bunker was a mistake that cost him the tournament. And I think that that can linger a little bit. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's the best course fit for him. Although when he's playing well, he's one of the top two or three guys in the field, so he can do it anywhere. But yeah, I just think if I'm looking at spots on the schedule coming off of such an important monumental week, uh, the most important weekend of his career, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make that bet. If Jordan drifted, I might get into that. I obviously, I'm, I'm not so concerned about the wrist injury. Uh, he seemed to be able to play okay with that at a golf course that really wasn't suitable for him. You know, we've all been kind of waiting for Jordan Spieth to knock one off here, and he's got a great record here, but that number is too low. Like, he shouldn't be more of a favorite than Victor Hovland, in my opinion, although this is – he does have the course history, but mm-hmm. he, I don't know if he's – I don't know. That's That seems like an anomaly to me, but if, if he drifts, maybe I can maybe I could get in on that. But as far as uh, 20 to 1 and higher, I don't think I like anybody. I, I'm not running to the window to bet any of these guys right out of the chute. Yeah, Spieth right it out number one in this sort of uh, a little bit speeded up model that I ran this week. But it's mostly dependent, obviously, upon on course history and, and short game, which he's been fantastic at. The greens and regulation numbers in the last 36 rounds uh, have been inside the top 10 as well. The approach numbers have been solid. He's always good around the green. Um, phenomenal history that I don't think is like in maybe any other spot for him. So. It's really good. The numbers check out for Jordan. I would, I would have bet Finau. I don't like fourteen to one. I would bet him maybe at eighteen to one. I don't think we're going to get there. I have no interest in. I should have interest in Morikawa based on like, the points that I just made of trying to buy low on a guy who I know is really good, and maybe the stock price drops a little bit. Who was in that playoff here with Berger coming out of COVID? Oh, um, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, when he missed that two-footer. Remember that? Well, Xander had the lead on the 15th hole, pulling in the drink. Oh, yeah, that was brutal. Right uh, out of COVID. Sung Jay, I'm, I'm out on Sung Jay. From, this is like, if you're going to play DFS, if you're going to bet top 10s matchups, okay, I, I'm out for the foreseeable future on Sung Jay in the outright market. Okay, all right, good. I like to hear that. 
All right, so can we can we go into that 20 to 40 yeah. range a little bit? Yep. So I got no one there. Home is 22 to 1 in this next range. Burns 28 to 1. Rose 33, Fowler 33, Fleetwood 33, oh. Henley 40. I'll even throw Cam Davis at 45 who got steamed early today. Uh who do you like there? Well, I, I like that Jeff Feinberg zone with Tommy Fleetwood, Ricky Fowler, and uh Justin Rose. I mean, those are <laughs> those are th- definitely three of his, at least two out of those three are his guys. Right. But uh I like that they're all the same price. Uh can we can we make a case for I'm not the biggest Ricky guy in the world, so I don't want anybody to think that I'm uh I'm a, I'm a home or anything else, but I I kind of like the idea a week after a major where it's kind of like a letdown spot for certain guys, and it's a great opportunity spot for somebody that hasn't won in a long time. Like we just saw Jason Day win. Who needs uh, to win? Justin Rose win, win at Pebble, you know? And, you know, Fleetwood, I, I always like Fleetwood when the, uh, you know, the winning score might be less than 10 under par, single digits, you know, Honda Classic type stuff. I don't know if he's going to get make enough birdies to get, get up there in the mid-teens. But – Ricky, I mean that'd be that'd be a pretty good story. He's not 22; he, he's 30 on DraftKings here in Jersey. Okay. I don't know. He's been playing great. You kind of, if people liked him for this major, and I think they did, kind of like a, you know, missed a cut, let down, and we've seen Joe. It's happened like three for the last three tournaments. Wyndham Clark in Mexico, terrible, comes back and wins the next week. Ah. Uh, who won the Byron Nelson? What's Jason Day? What a story! Yeah, right after he missed the cut of Quail Hall when everybody had him, right? Brooks, what a story! The comeback circuit is like live oh. right now. The comeback narrative. But why not Ricky Fowler coming in off a missed cut? I listen again. I'm not the Oklahoma State guy playing in Texas. I don't know. Listen, I'm not. I never. I'm not the biggest Ricky guy in the world. And I've only had like an hour to prep for this podcast, but just looking at numbers and narratives and everything else, I think you can make a halfway decent case for Ricky Fowler. Now, if everybody in the world is betting Ricky Fowler, then no, I'm out. But does that so that that matters to you? From it betting? does. I, I know it's dumb, but it does. I just, okay. I it's hard to too pick much ownership in the betting markets. What's that? Eating too much chalk in the betting markets. Well, it's just like those. Those guys never win, Joe. When the whole world is on the same guy, that's why the bookies are in plus money. You know, yeah. that's why we're all fucking broke and they're all building casinos all over the world because we're all giving them our money because mm-hmm. it's hard to pick winners. And it's just the, it's just that's a narrative, yes, that some guys are just a kiss of death and mushes. But it's just that community group think thing that, yeah, yeah it's, it's a factor for me. You, you just don't – you don't want that. And now, I, I take it to extreme sometimes, and it, it ends up costing me. And that's why I never win, <laughs> basically, <laughs> because it's hard to pick winners in golf tournaments. But I think that uh, it might be a good spot for Ricky. So let's just, let's just leave it at that. I'm surprised you're not on Cam Davis. I, I kind of pegged you for him. Um, the thing was, is there was a little bit of a celebration aspect to the Brooks thing where I just didn't get like the 66 and 70 to ones this morning. Okay. The 40 to one number is crazy. If he was 70 to one right now, I'd take it. Uh, but I have two guys here. So I, I bet Justin Rose at 33 to one. Okay. Um, I had him last week at 175 to one at a crazy number on Monday. And, he was just re- he's been really solid, man. Um, let me see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight straight starts gaining strokes on approach. You know, his his sort of last 20, last 50, last hundred rounds, he gains about a stroke on average approach uh per round. Um, 2.4 on average over the last five. He's just he's really got his irons working well. He made too many mistakes, he made too many bogeys last week, but he made a shitload of birdies. Uh, and I actually love that in sort of looking for outright bets is to just look for guys who are making a ton of birdies because if they can just correct a couple of wrongs, they're scoring really well. And when you're scoring really well, you're really confident in a lot of different aspects of your game. So I like Justin, obviously, one here in 2018. 
uh, some decent course history in good form. One at Pebble, which is another like 7,200 yards, relatively tight, like kind of club it down a lot of times off the tee uh, course. So I like Rose. And then I took like the weird one that I took, man, that I kind of feel good about is Russell Henley. Really? 40 to 1. So the reason being, I hit Henley at Mayakoba. And I actually kind of think this is like very tight, like Mayakoba off the tee. And I look at the places, the shorter courses that he's really had success that require you to hit fairways. Mayakoba, uh, Sony. He, oh, I had him at Sony before he blew it to Hideki. Like, what was that, two years ago? Mm -hmm. um, Honda, a shorter 7,200-yard course that you have to be in fairways off the tee. Number one in good drives gain. He's number one in fairways. Um, he, he's just he's still the best guy in the field at hitting the fairways. And besides the miscut last week, um, four straight pretty good performances in uh in major elevated events. Top 20 at the players, top 20 at the match play, top five at the masters, top 20 at the heritage. Those are like elevated big boy field events, four in a row top 20s for Russell Henley kind of out of nowhere um and you're telling me a place you know he won where was it that he always, used to always win in Texas was that the shell or something yeah, Houston he, Open yeah yeah so yeah. I don't know those are kind of my narratives built around a, a crazy 40 to 1 Russell Henley ticket so Rose and Henley um are the the card that I got this week okay. some of the squeamish ones work out nicely though well Rose won here before too I don't know if you mentioned yeah. that. you mentioned Pebble Beach but yeah he also he's won here uh, Henley, I was looking at him. It seemed like he just had like a like a big layoff. Uh, he hadn't played for four or five weeks. But yeah, he hasn't he, been playing a lot. Th th see, I find that I find that weird. You know, so like, what's going on with Russell Henley? That's what I want to know. And but he's just been exclusively playing elevated events, which is also kind of weird for him. Like his last, listen to his last uh, seven events here: Phoenix Open, Genesis. API players, Masters, Heritage, PGA. Like he ain't playing the Hondas in the uh the the you know the Joe Schmo tournaments anymore. Like he's going elevated. Yeah. Well, that top five. Yeah. What did you say? Top five at the Masters? God, I forgot. Fourth about place that. at the Masters. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh yeah, man, ride it. I I don't know. I don't know if I like that number though. I if he was like in the fifties, I can. That's that seems low. It's like suspiciously low. There's something going on there. So I like that. All right. All right. All right let's ahead. talk about the fifties. Kirk, Siwoo, yeah. Harmon at 66, Denny at 70, Kitayama at 66, Min Woo, Tom Hoagie, Steven Yeager, Lucas Herbert, uh, Taylor Moore, Brendan Todd. I'm just kind of naming some names here up to a hundred to one, but uh -huh. I'll just sort of open it up. Is there anyone sort of, you know, you said you're kind of capping at 40 to one, but is there any guys down here you have some interest in? Yeah. See, once I get past, then it's really got like Brendan Todd's got a good history here, but Brendan Todd's not winning this tournament. Like that, that's not, I, I mm -hmm. yeah, 75 to one's a great number and he's top 10 the last two times here, but there's too many good, there's too many good players. He's not going to win. But Billy Horschel at 100 to one. Oh, dude, I took him. I, he's on my card at 90. I thought I got a great number and he's 120 now. Oh, okay. All right. What's he so doing? You're not Is he terrible. Uh, yeah, but he's got like back class, you know. Like, you don't know what's going on with him or whatever. But you know, he's a Florida guy. He can handle some wind. He's won in Texas before. I think he won a Byron Nelson, beat Jason Day in a playoff. I'm saying that off the top of my head. I didn't he actually did. He that. did. He so, won at uh, uh, um, Los Colinas, I think it was. Yeah. So 101. Like, why not Billy Horschel? I know. Like just just that's just picking a name that yep. doesn't belong with like the Hayden Buckleys of the world. You're right. Yeah. So oh, I'm glad we agree on that. That might be. Uh, I mean, I, I like this is a Tom Hoagie golf course. He's a deep went to college in Texas, but he since that round of the players, the course record, he hasn't done he hasn't done anything. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. If we like if we like a Pebble Beach comp too, not not to mention, yeah. you know. Harris English, he's a guy, but great course history. Great horse course history for Harris English. Yes. Oh, okay. really good. Well, then that number seems wrong. Yeah, yeah, seventy-five to one Harris English. So uh, keep an eye on those. Well, I think we're keep an eye on those names. 
and see what see what uh as we do some more and more research. All right, so I mentioned that I took a 90 to 1 on Horschel. Pierce got a bad number there. Um, <laughs> the other ones that I have are McCarthy. So oh, I bet Danny at 70 to 1. I have to. I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm I'm like having a great year. I'm up so much. The only way that it could possibly get any better is if Denny wins a tournament. Um, so we're gonna keep going for it. He's, He's gonna win the Wyndham, Joe. He's gonna win the, the Wyndham. I love You're that. A I got, guy. That's your tournament. I got special vibes with the Wyndham. So that's that what I'm saying. That's fun. why he's gonna win the Wyndham because that's like your tournament. That's how these You're things right. work. For I people. thought about Eric Cole. Uh huh. I thought about it. There are some big numbers. Big. I think I saw eighty to one. It looks like there's hundred and tens out there. Um, the other one I was looking at, and I haven't made this yet, but I think I'm going to. Was 151 on Austin Eckroat. Um, I know that he loves Texas. He finished in second at the Byron Nelson. Uh, what was that two weeks ago? He finished. He's got top fives in two of his last five tournaments. Now one of them was Putacana, um, but the second place at the Byron Nelson I think was really encouraging for me. Um, gained a ton of strokes putting, which isn't always uh, repeatable by any means, but. I do think that he could be trending in a little bit of a direction, probably more of like a top 30, top 40 play for me. But I may throw a couple bucks on like 150 to one. Yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. Uh, Ryan Palmer. You know, I, I don't know if you yeah. know this, Joe, but I heard he's a member there. It's going to be uh, very popular. <laughs> he played good uh, at the Byron too, right? Didn't he yeah, like top five? But he's, he's triple digits. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to win, right? But he's a good DraftKings guy. He's a good – he might be a good top 20, top 40 – parlay type person but um yeah down here at the bottom of the board uh there's uh if 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 i can go a little bit deeper uh yeah texas guys you know university of texas notably like a pearson cootie highly touted amateur uh there he is 350 to one that's what i'm saying like that that might be something that's worth a look but those are the types of those are the types of guys i know there's a a lot of uh you know a lot of Korean players down there in Texas. So maybe maybe I dabble with they were they were peppering the leaderboard at Byron Nelson. I say they, I, I guess I shouldn't do that, but um <laughs> there's, there's, they all live there. That's what I'm trying to say. So um, what about Carson Young? 401. I don't know shit about Carson Young, but I know that he has three top twenties in his last four events. 19th at the Heritage, 15th in Mexico, 14th at the Byron Nelson. And I want to say there was like a like a, a secondary event on like a week, maybe the match play week or something like that, where they had like a, a second tournament, like a, a la Barbasol or something like that, that he almost won. So, I mean, the kid's been playing really well. It's 400 to one. You can probably get a great like top 20 price on him. Uh, I would agree. Kevin Kisner's 400 to one. Yeah, How the is. mighty have fallen. He's in the depths of like the a very dark place. Wilson Golf, you mean? Yeah, is that no, it? Notably, notably Wilson Golf. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Higgs is three fifty. He's, he's a Texas guy. Just got yep. engaged, I heard, and uh, maybe get some uh, strokes gained. Uh, positive attitude, positive vibes. I don't know. Big I don't know. Well, well, we might make a couple sprinkles down there for down there for fun. But that's what I'm looking for. Just anybody with. But it, it it's just if we're talking about outrights, Joe, it's there's not just it's that's tough. <laughs> those are those are uh, hard to find. I it's have not you in know, those days anymore. Do you know about the weather? Is anything any like any goofy weather? I haven't even looked yet. Okay. All right. So we got that going for us. <laughs> yeah. Um so live Wednesday, the show as always. Make sure to check it out. Any what else you got going on these days? Anything you want to talk about? <sighs> No man, things are things are good. Like I, I took like a little bit of a break. I know sometimes at the end of your show you talk about mental health and everything else, and I always appreciate that. And people are always uh, whenever you put yourself out there like that, you know the, the reactions are usually always very positive, and that's that's very helpful because to know that there's other people out there to understand where you're coming from, especially with the the gambling aspect of all this and how that can like that can mess with you. And that's what I've been. That's what I've been dealing with, and the the, the you know, the uh, the fandom and the uh, losing that 
because I'm more, more concerned about hitting my parlay or something stupid. So yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I was, I was doing less, but now I'm, I don't know, I'm just like re-energized. And I started doing shows again a couple of weeks ago and it's become therapeutic again, I suppose. Yeah. And so, yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday nights, usually at eight o'clock, but sometimes shit happens and we, we start, start up a little bit later, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter on Nagels Bagels and, uh, you know, things are uh, things are going okay. I'm hoping to go to the U.S. Open out at LACC. My friend Andy Pope is trying to qualify on golf's longest day on June 5th. He's coming up to Jersey. He's going to qualify here. So I'll be out at the golf course for that. And if he gets in, then, yeah, we're going to go to LACC, and that would be a pretty big highlight of my summer. So I'm, uh, I'm rooting for him. I'm, I'm, we'll see what happens. I haven't really planned much post U.S. Open because I don't know if I'm going to be there or not. So we'll see what the second half of the year uh, looks like for us. But that's what I got going on. Epic stuff, dude. Great to see you. You look great. You look healthy. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, it happens, dude. It happens with me. It happens with everybody where you kind of go through the ebbs and flows of like, I really enjoy this and it's an, the ultimate like hobby and, and other times when it can really get to you. And it's not only just like, the golf fandom it's like social media and stuff like that and comments and like things like the i knew like the thursday comments like even when i did the thing with like scotty and just like i had to turn it off because you like start reading the negativity and it's like why do i do this at some point but it's it, it all in all it's just it's great to see you again and i'm happy that you came on the show make sure to give my guy a follow and wish you all the best you know, I'd love to be there on Wednesdays, but I got the jock market show that has kind of interrupted a, a regular scheduled viewing opportunity for me. But um, as always, man, appreciate you coming on. Joe, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Talk soon, buddy. All right. All right, gang. I Look, you guys who've hung with me, I know this was a long show. I went on uh, probably one or two too many rants earlier in the show. Um, thank you so much. I had so much fun with the PGA Championship uh, with Brooks and everything. So I want to do a quick final thoughts here. I'm not going to sort of keep it long. And I kind of touched on this earlier a little bit, but not overly deep one here. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what I noticed some on Sunday in terms of like pressure situations and your pace and trying to really put an, uh, an internal focus on keeping your rhythm and pace and how important that is can be in golf and how that can sort of manifest itself into life. Like failure in your sort of results in managing highly stressful situations under pressure is something that I think that we can all understand. We've all been in a situation where we choked before, whether it was in sports or in life, there was a point in time when you needed your best and you had your worst. Um, we can all relate to this. We tend to sort of poke and needle and label those who have a drop in performance in these big moments as, as choke artists. Um, we all know, like when I said that term, you thought of someone in your head that you've sort of already labeled that, whether it's a golfer or whatever. I think we should have a little bit of understanding for it and maybe a little bit of respect for those who are able to to persevere through that more in a sense it's a hundred percent mental um i talked about it earlier it's 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 derived from your brain it's a, it's an effect on your body in pressure situations that increases your heart rate you get the sweaty palms uh you start to get the shaky hands all of these things are symptoms of the anxiety of being in a pressure situation that is sent to your body from your brain. Like athletes find themselves all of a sudden thinking about processes that normally come automated and automatically for them. Thinking about the mechanics of a golf swing that they've practiced thousands of times all of a sudden come into question. And when you start to think about things in a situation that you don't normally think about bowling a ball, throwing a pitch, swinging a club, hitting a free throw. Um, when, when you start to put thought into that, it creates a different like circuit in your brain that all of a sudden leads to different results for so many people. Um, and what has become second nature to many, and like, like I mentioned earlier, like an automated, often never even thought about, now is fully absorbing your attention. Um, there's less trust in your skills. There was a study done a few years ago looking at um, free throw rates, right? And analyzing 
decades worth of data from the NBA. And what they found is that players are 4% less likely to hit a free throw on average in the final minute of the game. Why is that? Like it, it's a hundred percent the effect of pressure on your body. A free throw is something that they practice thousands of times per day. It is no different from any other free throw shot yet 4% is a big number over the course of decades worth of data. Now, do I believe some athletes are naturally more gifted at handling pressure situations like a Brooks Kepka? Not really. I think it's a learned trait that can sometimes be acquired through a little bit of luck. Sometimes you're in a situation where somebody else folds and you're put into a thrust into a situation where you win. And all of a sudden you are now deemed clutch in a sense. Um, and it doesn't always come from breaking. Sometimes it comes with a little bit of luck, but internally you create this sort of self-belief and in success, like those seeds are sort of planted. And I also feel like it's, it's a practice trait. And what I mean by that is something that I think too many people don't apply in actual practice is pace. And I think that you can get an understanding with Brooks, his pace is perfect. It's fast. It's without overly thinking anything i think about the situation on six when he hit it in the water and never broke pace made a very calculated decision uh figured out what happened to his ball had no idea figured out the line talked to the rules officials talked to fans when he made his drop and ricky gave him a club it was instantaneous when he hit that shot in the most pressure situation of the day like i mentioned on 16 with a chance to win a major championship he hit that shot within like eight seconds after Vic hit it. He was standing there for minutes, hands on the hips, club leaning on the bag. There was no second guessing that decision whatsoever. He kept his normal pace that he plays with and he stuck it to a few feet, made birdie, four stroke lead. End of story. Um, undeterred were the goals and the execution of sort of the highs and lows and probably the second biggest moment of his life besides maybe the first major championship win. It was really, really cool for me to see. I have a great appreciation for it. And I think that oftentimes the greatest athletes of all time are the best of this. MJ, Kobe, Brady. Um, I, Brooks is not in that bunch yet, but I think that he has the traits in terms of clutch moments like that to eventually be there. What we got was another great Sunday in golf. I hope that you all enjoyed it. Have yourself a day. Have yourself a week. Good luck at the Colonial. Uh, thanks once again for checking out the show. Like and subscribe on your way out. You guys are the best. I'm out of here. Peace. Peace.